This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dear Diary, today I sunk into madness as I listened to stories told by Matt and Dana about <laughs> things that I cannot unhear and will never be able to forget for the rest of time. You know what? Sometimes you accuse us of having toilet humor, and today it is literally true. <laughs> exactly. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster whose article series takes you from 60 to 100, it's Matt Morgan. Dana, question for you. Yes. If your son doesn't want to take a nap, is he guilty of resisting arrest? (laughs) That's really good. I actually really enjoy that one. Anyway, next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach. Good evening. How is it going, friends and neighbors? It's going very well. I hope that your son does indeed take the nap. And I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All these articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, we're going to give all that data a little more context. What's our topic this week, fellas? I wish, I wish upon a star, Wizard of the Coast. Yeah, we're kind of going over a little EDH wish list that we put together. This isn't usually something that I'm too much uh, into. I I was kind of resisting this topic at first for the show because I feel like, oh, there aren't too many things that I really want to see Watsy print in the coming years. But then once you guys sort of prompted me more and more, I realized, actually... I think there are a lot of cards that I really want to see from them. So this should be pretty fun where we get to talk about the cards that we hope that Watsi gives us in the next couple of sets. Well, and we're kind of in the doldrums here. It's like the the heart of winter and spring is not quite here yet. And we're in between sets waiting for one that everyone's kind of really anticipating. So this look to the future is kind of this is like the right time to do that, I think. Yeah. And yeah, plus they, they gave us a big old carrot in Modern Horizons, too. So there's absolutely. all sorts of just uh, yeah. ne- neato stuff that they're not beholden to that we can kind of 
get a little silly with. Yeah, and we're not necessarily speculating. We're just talking about cards that, you know, we think would be kind of cool to see grace the commander format. And it's neat, too, because we each have a different perspective on this particular topic as well. Matt put it a couple of really interesting ways. For example, one of the things he mentioned when we were brewing up these particular show notes was, well, it should be interesting because we have a great designer search three dropout, a failed 60 card enthusiast, and a guy who just like likes foils. In fact, Matt, I think you had a sort of a, a, a little skit put together for it, if you mind sharing I, that with us. Well, I was just kind of thinking like what the conversation of this episode would sound like. And so it kind of went, you know, Joey would say something intelligent and thought out like, you know, I just want to see them finish off, you know, unfinished cycles and low risk, high reward commander like the <laughs> talisman cycle. This would provide a comprehensive experience for all two color pairings and multisyllabic words are what I like to say. So, <laughs> And then you... Yeah, so- and then, well, yeah, and then I figured it, you know, just freaking out, just, I don't know, man, they're, they're going to print Leovold in Modern Horizons and they're going to, you know, ruin everything. The world's just going to end just because, you know, I, I, I grew up a Kansas City Royals fan, so I'm just expecting to lose every time. But and then, then Dana, of course, but then Dana's just. Nature's Lord and shiny, please. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so we each definitely have a different take, one from maybe an analytical approach, one from a standard and modern and legacy approach, and one guy who's really committed to getting foils that don't yet exist. That was like my literally my first thought for Modern Horizons. I'm like, oh, Nature's War will be fine in modern, so I can get a foil there. They can reprint that. I'd be fine. <laughs> I'm not surprised at all. I'm, <laughs> I'm really not. Alrighty, so we've got a couple of categories. We won't get to the nature's lore and foil category just yet, Dana. I think it would actually be kind of fun to start off with some stuff angled towards more of the lore. And what we noticed when we were putting these things together was that they kind of were all basically in the form of different legendary creatures. So when we were, you know, putting our Vorthos hats on, there were different cards that we wanted to see printed because of characters in the story or different moments from the story, things like that. So... Dana, do you mind starting us off with some of the characters that you would like to see in upcoming sets that we've heard about in the lore but don't yet have cards? Sure. And and we do have three different kind of weird, unique venues for this. We have both the upcoming War of the Spark, which is clearly obviously going to be things that are Ravnica-affiliated or Planeswalkers who could get to Ravnica. And then we have the Modern Horizons set, which, as we've seen from that Sarah preview, they can just put anything in there for a character. It's not beholden to any particular plane or timeline. And the same thing is very much true of Commander products, where they just don't have to worry about the character being living or dead. They don't have to be worried about any plane or anything. So really, we have a couple of really open-ended options here to print new things or new better things of things they did poorly in the past. Um, so there's a few that I would love to see, particularly the first one that always pops into my mind is Baron Sengir. has such a terrible card way back in Homelands. And I would love to see a good version of Bar- Baron Sanger pop up. He's a great lore character, and I think that that's a missed opportunity to have u- not used him already in the past. And I think this would be a good chance to get a good version of him out there. So do you know a little history about Baron for plebs like me who don't know the story as well? Well, um, I, I do. Um, and, and I'm not going to do too deep of a dive into it. Homelands is set on a plane called Ogrotha, and it does have a like some portals that connect to Dominaria. So that's why the Sanger vampires on Dominaria are named after a character who is not from actual Dominaria as, as a plane. They're things that have they've came through those portals because there's a connection between those two worlds. <clears throat> My big thing I, I loved about Baron Sangir and I think was a hugely blown opportunity was way back in Shadows over Innistrad 
when they had Nahiri doing her her portal stuff to to bring Emrakul through, mm. I, I actually had kind of a, a a pet theory going on at the time because way back in the Homelands block, there was a little bit of lore where one of the main heroic characters is Autumn Willow, who also has a terrible card, and. Yeah. Ottawa has a vision of some point in the future where Baron Sengir is basically leaving Ulgrotha and marching his vampire armies through a portal to some other plane. And I was super hyped on the possibility of that being what Nahiri was doing. She's opening portals to bring in a bigger, scarier vampire than Soren to come into Innistrad and replace him as the sign of the plane. I thought that, that was what her revenge was going to wind up being because clearly they wouldn't go back to the Eldrazi well again Two sets in a row. <laughs> that's no, that's unheard of. And then you get Baron Sanger on Innistrad, where which is a very similar plane thematically to Ulkarotha. You get to bring him back into the main storyline. You get to give him a new card. So like I, I was convinced that's where it was going to go. And of course, that obviously didn't happen. But I still want to see him brought back as a character somewhere because he should still be alive. He's, you know, that, that that's a name that has impact and recognition. And I want to see him have actually a good playable card we can use in Commander. Yeah, and you know, hopefully in the future set. I do I I, I kinda like, especially when I saw the new art for the card through the breach that they made in that uh most recent master set. I do appreciate the Emrakul coming to Innistrad's story, but I know that everyone was a little tired of Eldrazi. Uh but yeah, there's always the future for characters like uh Baron Sengir. That's pretty interesting. One of the characters that I have been desperate to see, probably the very first thing that I put down, a character that I want to see, is the angel Feather from Ravnica. She's a Boris angel served under Razia, the archangel, before she went down in the first Ravnica story. I was so excited to see that character in the Return to Ravnica set, and we didn't get her. And then when we went to the Ravnica set again, we got another version of Aurelia, and we get Tajik again, and I'm like, okay, but guys, come on, I need this. So in War of the Spark, I've got to have me a feather and i really hope she's good i just i i, I just want to see her I, I need that to happen wizards please because she, she's she's still alive and she's imprisoned right. the boros have her imprisoned i believe correct if, if that's my recollection of the story as well i i just want her i just that's one of the first characters that i attach to in the novels and i just really need that to happen yeah i am with you she'd be a great one to bring back matt your turn so i'm gonna fast forward a little bit to theros from your return to ravnica uh, that was when I got back into the game, and growing up, I was always huge into kind of the Greek mythology. I read tons of books, and uh, it always just fascinated me. And so when I came back, and it just so happened, they were going to Theros. Uh, it was super cool for me, just because the the feel, like the gods, for example. I remember seeing Perforos' card and, and looking at the art, and just seeing the scale of the gods. It was super cool for me to see. I really enjoyed the flavor of that, and so I would like to see them pick up and kind of follow what's happening with Elspeth. Is she in the underworld? Is she not? What's going on? So that that storyline, I think they it was really cool that they left it open it like they did. But I'd like to see them pick that up before too long passes because I think there's a lot of potential. And they're just what magic is doing, just storyline in general. It it's so it's so impressive. Even in the past few years, since like I said, I got back into the game, the story and and how they do everything, their daily articles, their weekly story articles. Everything is just so much better than it was a few years ago. So they're doing a great job, and I just would love to see them give that Theros storyline treatment some more love. You know, if I'm recalling correctly, there was a 15th god in the pantheon of the gods of Theros that was pushed out by Xenagos. Is that correct? 
I think it was gone, but then Xenagos kind of stepped in because it was kind of the forgotten god. That would be a cool character to see as well. Another red-green god now that Xenagos has been vanquished. Temple of Abandon wasn't referred to as like lose your inhibitions and it's, you know... You're a, <laughs> given into abandon. It's it's an abandoned temple, literally. So the god has been dead for some uh, time prior to Xenagos. Nice. That's all right. Cool. I love it. That would be a really great character too. Yeah, and I I would just love to see them explore just the underworld too. I think mm. they they do the dark and mysterious very well. So I I think the underworld setting would be super 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 neat. Yeah, I'm super down for that. And an Elspeth return, yes, we've been waiting on that one for a while for sure. Dana, your list, now that I'm looking at it, is much longer than mine. So do you want to hit through a few more of yours? There's, got, there's an old lore character. I, quite a few of these are kind of old lore characters I like. One is is Gix, who's an old character from kind of back in the uh, Weatherlight Saga era. My favorite part about Gix is his description where he is built of bone and machine and soft meat. That's such Soft a meat. that's such a disgusting description for a character, and he never had his own card. Um, but we did recently get a reference to him in Dominaria in Rona, Disciple of Gix. And oh right, and his name appeared on a bunch of other cards in the past. There's Claws of Gix, Priest of Gix, Ring of Gix. So he's he's been referenced plenty in the past, and you see pictures of him on a couple of different cards. I think he's in. At least one Vanguard card, and I think you can see pictures of him or quotes of him on a couple other ones. So he's just kind of a disgusting Phyrexian-looking guy. And he wasn't killed on screen or even presumed to be killed. He just disappeared in 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 one of the explosions affiliated with kind of that whole war with Yagmoth. So there's it's entirely possible he's still alive given the whole Rona, Disciple of Gix thing. So I would love to see a card of him. I just think it's like such a creepy character and... There's a bit of a shortage sometimes in magic of really great villains. I think he's a really cool villain. So I would like to see a, a Gix card brought out in the game, either, whether it's, you know, an old card because he's dead or a new one because he's still a character they're going to bring back. Speaking of, you mentioned Yogmoth, and we would be remiss. I think the Vorthosis would probably actually like, you know, toilet paper our houses or something if we didn't mention Yogmoth and Urza. Like, obviously, we need cards representing them, too. Well, recently after Horizons was announced, Mark Rosewater revealed a list of characters he gets requests for really, really often. And he said that some of them, of course, not all of them, but some of them are currently in files for upcoming Magic products. That's exciting. Yeah. So from that list, you have the curse guy who was on all the curses in Commander 2017. (laughs) That's a funny request. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Flip Flip, the homunculus in Ravnica. Fibble Flip? Did you mispronounce Fibble Flip? flip. I did. I'm sorry. The lack of vowels threw me off. (laughs) A feather is on the list. Yes. Gix is on the list. Hal and Elena, who I think were in the werewolf story um, from Innistrad. Mm-hmm. Callista Roca from Ravnica, who I, whose name I don't know. Massacre Girl from Ravnica. Oh, yeah. That's in the flavor text of, oh, what's the card? Thrill Kill Assassin. I, I think I remember yep. that one sticking out to me because it was such a weird name. Um, Yogmuth. Naturally. And another angel who is actually on one of your two lists, the Innistrad Black-White Angel. Yes, Black-White, one of Sigarda's sisters. I need to see what that angel is, if only because it's mysterious. This sister was apparently killed by Avicen because of 
you know, angel reasons, maybe not being angelly enough. <laughs> because of angel reasons. Yeah, exactly. But man, I totally want to see what that angel did and why she had to be taken out of all of the, the angel sisters. I think that there's a lot of untapped potential in the story there. And I just can't wait for them to dig into it in another, either a commander set or if they do return to return to return to Innistrad or anything like that. I think that would be a really great character for them to highlight. Well, it's such a perfect, it's such a perfect little thing too. Like, you know, there's the three sisters, of course, because they're all in colors paired with white that are logically paired with white and in, in an angel, and that's all you think of it until just that offhand reference in the story to there being once a black white angel, and then you think, well, yeah, of course there would have been. Then why wouldn't they have also made a black white angel if there were the ones with the other color pairs? And it's just a was a little offhand comment in that story that. Just mentally, your brain does so much work filling in the gaps. Right. So, Matt, uh, I've, I'm seeing a pretty humorous entry on your list here about the weatherlight. Yeah. Well, I, so back when I was first playing, I was big into the weatherlight saga. The, the characters there with Gerard and his crew and Captain Sisse, they're all super cool, but none of their cards, you know, outside of Captain Sisse, because that one tutors for days, but... Every other card, as far as the Weatherlight crew goes, not that great. I would like to see Gerard have a quality legendary card or, or Tangarth the Minotaur, the Minotaur. Squee? It's Squee. Who cares? <laughs> well, I, mean, um, I, I would say saying not it's not a good card in reference to Gerard's card is really, really generous on your part. <laughs> yeah. Yes, very much. But yeah, I, I would just like to see commander playable versions. How about that? Not even good. Because the, the flavor is going to be there, that there's going to be enough people around there that I'll, I'll probably be one of them. I'll build, you know, a, a start card or something like that. But yeah, I'd, I would like to see commander playable versions of the Weatherlight crew just redo it. Maybe in a set like, you know, Modern Horizons where they're not set on a certain time or place or anything like that. That's all irrelevant. They can just do whatever they want regardless of where and when. So I would like to see the Weatherlight crew come back and... and be interesting for commander at least well and i think it's also important to note there that one of the like the most intriguing aspects of having weatherlight characters would be for the purposes of for example building a weatherlight themed edh deck and captain cise mm -hmm. is only green white but there are members of the weatherlight crew that are not those colors so we would need to see some type of probably general tazri situation going on there so that you can have a commander that leads the weatherlight and that also you can run all of those characters within. Yeah. I think, or, or a five-color Urza to flavorfully bring them all together or something. Yeah. I'm actually a big fan of the partner with mechanic, and I think that's a great use of that mechanic, you know, having a, a actually good Gerard that's a partner with Hannah or something. Interesting. So you get some actual flavorful lore there in terms of characters. You can use that fun mechanic and then we could actually get good versions of that Gerard card for once. I guess the original Hannah is pretty decent, but I wouldn't mind getting new versions of those those fun characters because they're such a huge part of Magic's history. But yeah, I would like to see them play around with partner with and like a flavorful manner, uh, like with the, you know, the Weatherlight crew, Gerard and Hannah, Squee and Tangarth, stuff like that. But then also I think it'd be cool just to play around in general with Gisela and Bruna. I think that would have been a really cool partner with mechanic because uh, then flavorfully they merge into the Eldrazi. It's all corrupted. I think there's a lot of space there, just flavor and creative wise, maybe not mechanically that I can take it or leave it. But in these kind of commander type sets, 
I would I would really like to see them play around with partner with and, and how that plays out. Yeah, and there is so much space there too. Like you could instead of having a Gisa and Jarelf card, you could have a Gisa and a Jarelf. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I like that a lot. Um, I hadn't really thought of that before, Matt. But the partner with commander, partner with mechanic, does also really give meld that mechanic from Shadows of Innistrad an, an extra layer of utility. It's really difficult to get both those creatures out in commander and make that that meld transformation happen. If it's also on a partner with card, that becomes way way easier. I also think that like the the mechanical perspective is another thing that's important to look at when we're thinking of cards that we'd like to see in the future. So we attacked us sort of from a Vorthos angle for a second, but there are also some mechanics in the game that I didn't see a legendary creature for that I would definitely like to. So, you know, Meld could certainly be a good example, but from a mechanical perspective, a thing that I would like to have seen from Shadows over Innistrad is actually some type of blue-green clues-based commander because there were so many investigate cards in that particular set in the colors of blue and green. But there wasn't a legendary creature that could take advantage of investigating in such a way. And I think that that would have been really cool design space. Another big one, and granted this would be very 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 difficult to actually balance correctly but there was a lot of energy stuff going on in kaladesh in the colors of teamer and a teamer energy commander would be really really cool again energy's a little bit busted so it would probably be kind of difficult to balance that fairly but i think that with enough tinkering they could probably get to some way that would be really cool to take advantage of all of those particular cards because not just stories that we want to communicate with all of our edh decks but we also sometimes want to build around specific mechanics well that's one of the reasons i think that atraxa is so attractive to so many people that she because she lets you kind of finish that mechanic that you wanted to build around whether it's plus one counters or whether it's infect or minus one counters or super friends she lets you use her as your commander for whatever mechanical theme deck you want to build she kind of role plays that really really nicely and yeah you're right it would be great to have a commander that actually lets you do things with clues or a commander that cares about cycling or that really lets you use exalted in a way that kind of rafiq doesn't because he's so Rafik-ish. <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's a lot of those mechanics out there too that I would love to see a commander that encourages you to really focus on that one kind of narrow mechanic with a bunch of narrow cards that don't see play elsewhere, but would in a deck that really brought forth their strengths. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Dana, there are a few more cards that you'd be looking forward to in the form of legendary creatures in the future. Do you want to run us through the rest of your list? Um, there's one character I always have found interesting, and that's Vranos, who was a planeswalker that I believe first appeared in the ipad iphone game duel the planeswalkers and then eventually later showed up in a lore story when garuk killed him and cut off his head oh and he's the he's also called the gray fencer he basically is dressed in gray and dark blue and has kind of a fencer mask he wears and he just is a visually really cool looking character and i i believe he was an ice mage but i'm not 100 positive he's just a was neat character i always liked and i thought that would be an easy thing for them to throw in a supplemental product as a character so we can finally actually see the Vranos card. But the main other one I had on my list here is I'm super intrigued by Merrill Age just in general. <laughs> and I, I just want to know more. And maybe that's bad. Like maybe Merrill Age is one of those concepts where however they executed the storyline, it would never be as interesting as you just wondering. Because I think to a degree that's always been the problem with the Eldrazi. The last couple of times we've seen them is they're less scary the more you see them. And I think that might be the case with Merrill Age too. But man, Merrill Age is, I think, a fascinating little bit of lore sprinkled back throughout Ice Age. And 
Dark Depths being such a great card with such iconic art too makes me want to see more of that character and that storyline. Yeah, that's that's a really cool one. I think also uh, it would be wise for us to mention some creatures that we have seen the forms of, uh, but that weren't necessarily satisfactory. And for some reason, those tend to be very centralized in the uh, the Innistrad plane. Mike Paddock, one of our new writers at EDA Trek, he mentioned that he would have really, really liked to see a Ludovic Necro Alchemist that embraced <laughs> the Necro in his title. Yeah, that Ludovic card is not great just in general, and it definitely doesn't feel like Ludovic. And then I also expect that a lot of people are hungry for a werewolf that isn't Ulrich of the Kralenhoard <laughs> or Uncontested Alpha or whatever his name is supposed to be. I can't remember it because no one plays him because it was a smidge underwhelming. And I think if, smidge, I, if, huh? if I remember correctly, there's four different werewolf packs on Innistrad. So we do have three more pack alphas they could choose from. Nice. Very nice. I, I appreciate your attention to the lore here. That's uh, That's really nice. Alrighty, so on the lore question then, not just looking at maybe specific cards or creatures that we'd like to see, but what about planes? What's a plane that you guys most want to revisit? Well, I already said Theros. That was when I got back into it. But one thing I, I when they do corsets, I feel like they kind of dip their toes into a lot of different things and they never really fully commit. So whatever planes they they end up going to, I want to see them give it the full treatment, even if it's like Battle Bond, where it's maybe not quite a full story oriented experience, but it, it gives you a good idea what the plane is like. I would like to see them just really dig in and give us that whole experience, even if it's for a set or two or whatever they want the blocks to be. Yeah, I'd, I, I would like it to be less like a core set where we used to have it would be on Chandelar a little bit, and then a little on Ravnica, then a little on Phyrexia or whatever. Dig in, really give us that experience and just let us soak it in. Cause I think that's the cool part is like I said, they're doing so many cool things story wise. I think they're doing themselves a disservice by not really letting themselves, you know, run wild, I guess. Yeah. Theros, you mentioned that's a really, really big one on my list. I thought that that particular plane was really, really dense and rich. I would love to see that one. I'm totally on board with more battle bond and conspiracy stuff. I absolutely agree. More of that is always going to be better and lets them flex around in really cool areas. That would be really, really cool to see. A weird thing that kind of happened when I was putting show notes together, I initially put down that I would love to go back to Tarkir. I loved cons of Tarkir so much, but then I remembered, oh yeah, now it's dragons of Tarkir. And I actually preferred our original Tarkir probably just because I enjoyed the wedge colors drafting the three color different clans and things like that so if we do return to tarkir i i'm not even sure if it's necessarily the plane that i'm in love with or just the three color focus so that that was kind of a weird one but if we ever do go back to it i do like three color stuff i think it would be fun to to go from that angle but i'm not sure if it's necessarily the world that remains that i'm in love with i'll see tarkir is probably my least favorite plane we've gone to in a decade I just wow. am not a fan for for a couple of reasons. Mechanically, you know, this is selfish. I, I tend to not play through color decks. And there were so many cards in, in Tarkir that I'm like, well, that's just not playable in anything I ever play because it's three colors. But I found the world to be really, really ugly, too. And I know Innistrad isn't exactly a beautiful plane because it's so dark and mean and gothic. But I think that's interesting versus Tarkir where it just feels like a cruel world without being interesting. So I'm not at all a fan of Tarkir, but I get why people like it. There was a lot of cool stuff going on there in terms of, I mean, we've got Fetchlands. <laughs> That's always going to help people 
appreciate Tarkir. It's it's not my jam at all. But I think Lorwyn is a point I'd love to see more of. Everything about Orwin aesthetically, I find really, really pleasing. I think it's just a, the artwork is beautiful. It has a really unique style that no other plane has. I like that there's no humans on it just because it gives us such a density of interesting fantasy creatures. I think the fairies, the artwork on the fairies is amazing, and I want to see more of those. Just everything about Lorwyn I'm a big fan of. It's such a weird world. I love the kind of Celtic folklore aspect of it. So I would definitely be a fan of them revisiting Lorwyn. And I oh no 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 okay, okay. all right all right I you I'm gonna borrow a line from Ruben Bressler of Magic Mike's here. You come into my house <laughs> and you complain about the aesthetics of one of my favorite blocks in Tarkir. like what? And then you hype up Lorwyn. Oh, Lorwyn is. I detest Lorwyn. I really did not enjoy it. And the art style, I got to confess, is a big piece of that for me. The fact that they had the changeling mechanic, changeling is definitely very cool. It worked with all the tribal stuff that they were doing there. But it also meant that the art had to go in a very specific direction so that the changelings could look comically like nothing. And that really bugged me. So aesthetically, Lorwyn, I'm the total opposite of you. I thought Khans was beautiful in its starkness. And I thought that Lorwyn was really ugly and how like overly f- and saccharinely flourishing it was so that is we're on total opposite sides of the spectrum here just, uh, I'm gonna, I, I think I'm gonna, joey just hates things that are older than he is yeah i'm just gonna make a note here joey hates rebecca gay all right that's Done. so no, not no the takeaway no <laughs> so not the takeaway here no well and also i just found the actual format itself like the, the limited format there was unnecessarily complicated clash also zero percent fun for me so yeah no I'm, I'm i'm so not on board what's the other set that you'd like us to go back to though what's another plane that you would enjoy that maybe we can agree on i'll go back to dominaria as often as they want to go back to dominaria particularly if the set is as flavor rich and dense with historical references as last spring's dominaria set was as often as they want to go back and and have that level of detailed artwork showing things from the past and character callbacks and that that density of legends i will go back there once a year if they want to do that i I was in love with that set i still am and yeah that's something i definitely will revisit whenever they want to revisit it all right you are maybe slightly forgiving because i agree (laughs) (laughs) all right so dominaria that's a good one theros obviously any others that we'd like to go back to see what's up going on there I can tell you one that I'm really not interested in that I know we're going to go to eventually is Jace's Homeworld, which is Vryn, oh, which doesn't interest me at all because it just seems like kind of generic fantasy, um, semi-cyberpunk, maybe, if that. It doesn't interest me at all. And it's maybe because it's Jace's Homeworld. I don't like it either. But Vryn doesn't particularly interest me. And, and, I, and I know we're going to go there eventually. I feel like that's that's something on the list, but I'm not too hyped about that one. It would be kind of nice to see a, a world that is properly steampunk, I think. Kaladesh was sold to us as being etherpunk, but it wasn't exactly that. It felt a little too colorful for the actual steampunk thing that we were expecting. And I know that there was a lot of steampunk aesthetic going on in the uh, Unstable set, and that was definitely a welcome sight. I wonder if Vryn would be a good category for the steampunk aesthetic um, in a more like standard proper set. So uh, I, I don't know. That aesthetic is something I am interested in, but... Again, our aesthetics, as we've established, are different. <laughs> Very different. See, I'm, I'm going to side with Dane on, on going to Vryn. I, from what we saw in Magic Origins, it didn't really stand out as anything appealing to me. Whereas, like you said, Kaladesh was very colorful, very bright. 
Um, it was very vibrant. Like it, it felt very alive, like looking at the art in there, whereas Vryn looked like kind of a technological wasteland, not in a good way. Yeah. Um, felt very like Book of Eli type of, this is our steampunk. I was like, um, okay. I, oh, I, okay. I would rather see something feeling alive and exciting than very dark and desolate. And it's so funny going over a particular conversation like this where we're talking about, ooh, these characters that we'd like to see, oh, these planes that we'd like to get to. But there are only a like a very finite number of sets that they're able to put out each year. So we're like hungry for all of these different worlds to go to, but you know, they just can't get to them all at once. And a podcast like this, we're just talking about the like nine different places we'd like to go back to. Well, that's gotta right. be told over the course of two years. Well, if we want to talk about a plane that's been referenced obliquely in the history, at least, I want to go to Elspeth's home plane. We don't know what that one is, do we? We don't know that. We don't know the name. It was never named, but it was conquered entirely by Phyrexians. Oh, but, yeah. but we, but we don't know what flavor of Phyrexian that is. Is that like a branch that Yagma sent off exploring different planes via portals, you know, years ago, and they conquered it and just got cut off from him back during the. Whole Weatherlight Saga thing, or is it a place where Karn went to and left oil behind, kind of like he did a Mirrodin, and they've since evolved? Either way, because it's such an isolated world, unconnected to the rest of the Phyrexians, they could have evolved or developed in a way entirely different from the existing Phyrexians we're aware of. So it gives them a lot of ways to use that weird kind of machine flesh hybrid tech, but not be beholden to anything we've already seen on existing Phyrexian worlds. So there's a lot of ways to do cool stuff there without having to be tied into existing history. All right. That's really that, cool. Like yeah, that's what, I, that's what I want to see. And I think since I think we're definitely going to get Elspeth back at some point, I think that gives us a, a bridge, whether it's her and Karn or someone going there. I think we will eventually see that point, and that's what I'm looking forward to. Very nice. Okay, so maybe moving away from the lore section of this episode, there are also some just, you know, cycles of cards that we really want to see grace the format as well. These aren't inspired by characters and the stories that the magic storyline is actually telling, but just cards that we've seen that we'd like to see the rest of, basically. Uh, Maybe it would be best exemplified by one of these examples. That was a really good sentence, Joey, exemplified by an example. (laughs) All right, I'm going to stop talking. Dana, do you mind taking it away here? I'm sorry, I just got distracted by something. So no, Matt, <laughs> you want to throw that to Matt instead? I can give a good example of a cycle that I think we would like to see. Okay, so good. currently we, we, we have a cycle called the Sword of Cycle, where it's equipments and it's a sword of light and shadow, sword of fire and ice, where they're enemy color uh, protection swords, basically, that give you an ability whenever you deal combat damage to a player equipped to your creatures, obviously. I would like to see them finish off that cycle and do the ally colored sort of X and Y type of effects. So a a sort of green and white and give it some sort of effect that either, you know, is anti green and white or pro green and white. I think it'd be something very cool or, or sort of red and green sort of black and red or yeah, black and red. However you want to do it. That cycle I think is one that I would really like to see. I don't think it's something that they want to put into standard. I think uh, modern horizons is a very good opportunity to finish the cycle because they don't really get a ton of play in modern right now. So skipping standard because they are way too powerful for standard. Uh, that's, yeah. that's something that they, they kind of figured out the hard way, but something that goes right into modern, I think would be something very interesting. And of course we get it in commander too. Uh, so the 
finishing off the allied sword cycle would be something that I am very interested in seeing. I, I totally see that it wouldn't be the kind of thing to put into a, a standard set, particularly given that they're moving away from the protection keyword so much, which the swords are also famous for giving. Right. Yeah, and it I, makes just for some very uninteractive games too, That like the Sword of Light and Shadow. Dana's talked about several times how if you have protection from white and black, you have protection from 75% of target removal in the format. So yeah, let's let's find a way to rework it, but still have it be fun. Yeah. All right. I'm super down. Dana, how about you? Um, I, I know this is going to be on your list too, Joey. So I'm just going to say the uh, talisman cycle. Hell yeah. I mean, that's, it, it, it's, it's kind of is a double duty thing here because we're missing so many land cycles. And I'm sure at some point we're going to touch on those in the next few minutes here, but we're missing so many enemy colored land cycles as it is that it's already trickier to put together a enemy color deck than it is an ally color deck in terms of your land base. And, Losing out on having that talisman is even that much more of a problem in enemy color because you're already short five-ish, you know, pretty decent dual lands, and then you're missing out on a just magnificent two-drop mana rock. The talisman is as good as anything you're going to play in turn two, I think, and you just don't get to do that in a two-color deck. Yeah, talismans are famously underplayed when we look at the stats on EDH rack. Sometimes some product will come out. I think there was a uh, a bolus arch enemy thing that had a couple of reprints of talismans that did up some of their popularity. But cards like Talisman of Dominance, Talisman of Indulgence, these are two mana mana rocks that can tap to add one generic, or one colorless mana to your mana pool, or they can tap to add either you know black or red to your mana pool but they'll deal one damage to you we have all of those for the allied color pairs but we don't have them for the enemy color pairs that would be so cool to see that cycle finished because they are you're right dana i think they're kind of next to the usefulness of a signet to be perfectly frank so dana you'd mentioned not just in the mana rocks there but also some different land cycles that we'd like to see come back and the lands are the ones that have largely populated my list as well Particularly, I was intrigued by the enemy, uh, an, a cycle of enemy-colored cycling lands. Uh, those lands that we saw from Amonkhet, at least I believe it's Amonkhet, things yep. like Irrigated Farmland or Fetid Pools or Canyon Slough, things like that, they enter tapped. They are both of the basic land types, so you'd get an island swamp, so you can fetch for them with a fetch land or things like that. That would be really, really great to see because... I want one, frankly, this is very selfish, but I want one for the Gitrog monster because we don't have a cycling land. Of course you do. You can pay two to discard it, to draw a card, and if you've got Gitrog in play, he'll draw an additional card. I think that would be so good. So those are just really easy lands that I would love to see printed anywhere else. And there's a few different ones. There's, you know, the Battle Bond lands, which we've talked about how great those are in general. There's no enemy cycle for Battle Bonds lands. There's no enemy cycle for the Battle for Zendikar lands, which require you to have... Is it uh, two basic lands in play before they come into play tapped? But but, but they're fetchable, which is really, really useful and really, really important. So those ones I would love to have in enemy colors. The Odyssey filter lands aren't amazing, but they're pretty decent duels without a lot of downside that don't come into play tapped. And we have only the allied cycle there. It would be nice to get those. They're not that powerful. I mean, Those those are the ones that function like signets. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, I mean, you could easily have those. Those could even be the standard set. I don't think it would be a problem, but I would love to get the other half of that cycle. And we had that time spiral cycle of ally color lands that eventually turned into the Lorwyn filters. Graven Carnes was in that set. But the other four, we don't have that's those cycle finished. And I, and I don't think they'll finish, you know, Horizon Canopy being as strong as it is. Ooh, I don't think we'll probably ever see that. Not at all. 
But we could get like a weird variant on just get enemy versions of those as well, where it's a unique thing they're never going to do and you only have a one off. I, I wouldn't mind seeing that. Too, it's just one more land that ally cycles have that enemies don't right now, and I would love to see some catch up done there as well. All right, yeah, I would really like to see the Nimbus Maze cycle finished off. That one was, I thought that was a cool design of being able to produce mana if you have a, a basic land of that color, but just have it being for a duel. So if you have a plains, it produces white. If it has an island, it produces blue. That cycle, I think, would be really interesting to see in standard and and obviously EDH. Wasn't that the other way around? Uh, was it? I, yeah. I believe so. Nimbus Maze, I'm pretty sure you can add white to your mana pool, but only if you control an island, and then you can add blue oh. to your mana pool, but only if you control the planes. So it's kind of a weird duality there. That one is pretty neat, though. I think another one in that same series, the the broken uh, Time Spiral Future Sight sort of lands that we're seeing. Um, another one was River of Tears, where you can tap to add a color, in this case blue, but if you played a land this turn, you would add black instead. That one's kind of weird. I imagine that they printed that one in those particular colors because it would allow you to hold up counter magic, but it definitely opens up some weird doors and it would be neat to see that come back as well. But yeah, Dana, you're right. There's a lot of stuff in allied colors and we don't have nearly as much in enemy colors and they could use a bit of a boost. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that I would really like to see is them finishing out the cycle of Crows and Verge. Crows and Verge is a really great sort of predecessor to Myriad Landscape. It enters the battlefield tapped, but you can pay to tap it and sacrifice it to go and fetch fur to lands. In the case of Crows and Verge, it is you get a plains and you get a forest, which is really, really cool, especially because it doesn't say basic. Like you can go and get those other things like the, the cycling lands or the shock lands or anything like that. But that's the only one of its kind there aren't any other types of Crows and Verge cards. There isn't one for Demir. There isn't one for Rakdos. It's only for the Selesnia color pair. Man, I think that would be really great to help some folks out with some easy budget mana fixing if they could also use cards like Crows and Verge to go get, you know, a, both a Plains and an Island or both a Swamp and an Island or something like that. Getting a whole bunch of other Crows and Verge things, I, I would so be happy to see a cycle like that get completed. If I remember right, Cross and Verge and I think Riftstone Portal from roughly the same block, I believe, were both kind of the opposition cards to Cabal Coffers because mm. Cabal Coffers was in that set that heavily skewed black and Selesnya is the enemy colors to black. We got Riftstone Portal and we got Cross and Verge as kind of the answers to black's strength. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, and I would love to see Riftstone Portal finish the cycle too. For those who don't remember, it taps for a colorless mana, but if it's in your graveyard all your lands then tap, become basically savannas. They all tap for green or white. So you have to have a way to get the land into your graveyard and stay there, but it kind of does that anger filth thing where if it's in the graveyard, it gives your cards in play a different ability and it turns them all into duels, but you have to have a way to get it in the yard in the first place. Man, a thing like Wind Grace or whatever would totally be able to take advantage of that. That's a really cool one. Yeah, and in Commander, that that you know, with access to every great dual land ever printed, for the most part, that isn't an overpowered effect like it might be in Standard, where you can just use you know a, a discard effect to throw it in the graveyard right away and have perfect fixing. Yeah. Okay, if, that's if we're cool. going down, if we're going down this road, we may as well give Green a uh, Cabal Coffer type of effect too, then, because it's only fair. It has Gaia's Cradle. Well, here's the weird they thing don't. about. Cabal Coffers is great as Cabal Coffers is. It's it's easy to say, well, we don't want those in every color. But man, black already is probably the color of big mana and the, the color that can utilize it the best. So I, I, you could put Cabal Coffers, I think, in any other color and have it not be a problem. 
It wouldn't be necessarily a problem mechanically, but I think it is a problem flavorfully. One of the cool things about sure. black is that black is very, very powerful when it's on its own. It is very much the isolated, I am, I can trust no one but me sort of color, as opposed to someone like, a color like green, which is very much about, you know, providing mana of every color. They have more of a cooperative strategy. So flavorfully, the fact that Cabal Coffers only encourages you to play one particular type of land being swamps, that's very much in the... The, the 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 philosophy for the black part of the color pie because it is so self-involved. Dana, uh, who was the GDS3 dropout in this group? Was, was it Joey? <laughs> I feel like it's I the guy it who's talking about the balance of color and mechanics. Yeah. Yeah. Who needs uh, his opinion? We were all talking about Vorthos earlier. We're all <laughs> nerds here. Come on. We, we are. We are. All right, Dana, you got a few more on your list. Hit him, hit him up. First of all, I like snow as a mechanic. It's not overly powered and maybe it's not powerful enough, but like I've always kind of wanted to try to do a snow themed commander deck and we don't have a commander that cares about it or we don't quite have enough cards to utilize a mechanic just yet. I'd like to see something them bring back snow as a mechanic and it's not really a cycle, but I'd like to see some more of that. And I obviously want to see a bunch of things in foil that we don't have in foil right now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we mentioned, you know, nature's lore is a huge one on your list. What other foils would you like to see? I definitely would like to see some of the commander only cards like Darksteel Mutation or Song of the Dryads. Um, We currently don't have a Mystic Remora foil. We don't have, you know, I, I've got a list off, and I can't think of a few of them there right now, but there, there's a few of those like that that does, just don't have an existing foil. Ophiomancer, which is a commander-only card as well that's actually pretty decent, doesn't have an existing foil. Or a token, I think. Yeah, there's no token for it either. You're right. So yeah, quite a few of those, and I think a lot of those are actually probably modern playable. You could very easily throw, I would think, Ophiomancer in, in that modern horizons and have it not be a problem. I don't think Darksteel Mutation would be a problem in modern. So we could conceivably see a few of those commander-only cards pop up in that set as well and, and get us our foils. Us our foils. I like how he includes us in that. Matt and I aren't as huge on the foil thing, but Dana, we do appreciate your attention to aesthetics, except in the case of Lorwyn. Boo. <laughs> I appreciate everyone's opinions. Uh, very, very uh, I'm, I'm diplomatic. I'm keeping the peace here. I'm keeping the peace. <laughs> so we've discussed all the stuff we do want. What, what yeah. do you guys not want them to reprint yeah. here? This this is the touchy part of the show, I think. Okay, so kind Joey, of a soapbox moment for me. Yeah, yeah. I okay. How do I phrase this? Besides Azuri, what do you not want? <laughs> well, that that's that's kind of kind of related to it, I suppose. Um, something that I think is a little dangerous that I see a lot of commander players asking for a whole lot is having commanders that represent certain tribal flexes into other colors. For example, we saw Varina in Commander 2018. Varina was a really cool thing for Esper zombies. Um, We also saw Tuvasa, which happened to be a merfolk in Bant colors. In this case, though, Varina was actually a zombie tribal commander. It actually like can create zombie tokens for you, and it rewards you for attacking with a bunch of zombies. But Tuvasa was not. It was actually pretty strictly an enchantress, and it just happened to be a merfolk. But a bunch of folks are then putting together a merfolk deck in the Bond colors because there have been white merfolk in Lorwyn, and there have been green merfolk in Ixalan. So they're finally getting a place for all of those. I... I'm not actually about that. I prefer when tribes stay in more specific colors. I thought it was kind of weird when zombies went into white. I thought that they pulled it off really, really nicely. 
but there are only like one or two, maybe three commander playable white zombies. So I didn't feel like Verena was exactly necessary, given that we had a bunch of like Demir zombie commanders already. And similarly, I don't think that Tuvasa is particularly intriguing as a Bont Merfolk commander because it doesn't have anything to do with Merfolk. And I thought that the existing things like Sig or like Kumena, which we just got, were already perfectly serviceable for the Merfolk strategy. And more than that, I like it when they stay in those specific colors because I agree with one of Mark Rosewater's famous adages, which is that restrictions breed creativity. I don't think that we necessarily deserve to have those tribes into all of those colors because it kind of blurs the lines a little bit too much for me. I like for them to stay where they are philosophically within the color pie because then I just think it makes for more creative deck building. It kind of forces us to have to adapt when we aren't able to flex into all of the colors for all of those tribes. Those are just two examples of it, but I just don't want to see too much more of that. You know, Thantis isn't exactly a very good spider tribal commander is what I'm getting at, but Ishkana is. That's where I like things to feel comfortable. Yeah, I kind of agree with that a little bit. Um, I mean, particularly like looking at zombies, we already had a, a pretty strong zombie presence in Grixis. You know, obviously there's Demir zombies in Innistrad, you know, mono black zombies are pretty strong. There's a lot of green black zombie stuff and there's a few commanders that do that, whether it's Glissa or whether it's Gerard. So, you know, zombies already have a bunch of options. I don't think they were really hurting. There's Sultai zombies as well. I don't think zombies were hurting for a commander and then the fact that they just got Esper on top of it. I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily, but I think there's other boxes they can check if they're looking to check boxes before they need to start worrying about giving, you know, a seventh different option in terms of color combinations for zombie commanders. Well, and actually, you mentioned Glissa just there. I think that Glissa the Trader is a really good example of the, the that kind of thing. Like, granted, Glissa came from, I think it was Mirrodin Besiege, so this was definitely a while ago before, you know, I had all of my opinions. So I didn't mind Glissa too much when I first saw her. But now looking back, I'm kind of like, you know, I wish that this artifact-centric strategy wasn't in green. I don't think that green deserves to have artifact stuff. That should just be in the colors, usually Esper, but also Brea has some flex in there too because red is doing cool stuff with artifacts. But green is so vehemently anti-artifact that Glissa feels feels wrong in my brain now. It doesn't feel like that's exactly correct. And Dana, I know you have a Glissa deck, so I'm trying not to stomp all over it. But just uh, flavorfully, I like it when tribes or certain strategies stay within their particular colors, because I think that that's healthy for our creativity. All right. I, I'm off my soapbox, though, so I don't want to spend too much time talking about that particular thing. done. <laughs> all right. Well, how about you guys? What are some things that maybe you wouldn't be too happy seeing if they were ever to be printed in a future set? Um, you know what? I, I've mentioned this before, and I don't need to go off on a rant on this particular topic, but I'd be perfectly content never seeing original partners printed again, because all it's going to wind up being is people picking through the five new ones and taking the best one and then pairing it up with the three existing partners I use right now. Hey, it's this is my new Thrasios and X commander that I found. That's oh, the, the original best. partner mechanic, yeah, not the original yeah. partners themselves. No, the mechanic. So if we okay. got that again, it would just be people pairing more the, the best one of the five or ten with Timna and or Thrasios. I don't, I don't that's utterly uninteresting to me. So I'd be perfectly content if we never revisited original partners again. Yeah, we've heard your your thoughts on that one. I definitely am sympathetic to the idea because it, it does become a little bit too much of a good stuff chase. I do like the mechanic, but I also totally see where you're coming from. And the other one that I, I kind of we joked in the show because I actually called um Maldrotha the Marin of Clan Neltoth combination with Carador, But I, I don't love that either, where they take basically an existing card and maybe add a color and make it better. And that's, you know, kind of what Maldrotha did with Marin or Carador. It's just a color-shifted version, but maybe a little bit better and costs a couple more mana to cast. 
I think that's kind of a boring thing to give us. So I'm not a huge fan of that. And I'm also not a big fan of things like Vanifar, where you just take a broken existing card and make it into a commander. Because all you're going to get then is people trying to do the existing broken things with their commander and thinking that's interesting. And it never is, at least to me. I think you're also hitting on a pretty interesting point there. You mentioned, you know, you've seen a lot of effects like Marin, we've seen Mildredo, we've seen Carador, we've seen a bunch of those already hit upon before. And that also goes to a natural complaint that people have with the Boros color combo, where it's all attack commander, attack commander, attack commander. So seeing more diversity within all of those colors is sure. definitely a goal, it sounds like. You know, I heard I heard on a podcast recently, uh, Gavin Ferry, I don't remember what podcast it was, but he said <laughs> they were trying to do something cool with Boros commanders. Oh, yeah. I knew what podcast that was. Yeah, I feel like it was the EDH Redcast, but I, I can't quite. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know. And it's almost like there's a bunch of venues we've been talking about this year for them to do such things. <laughs> yeah, feather, feather, feather. Calm down, Joseph. <laughs> I, I will calm down, but only if you share a list of things that you're not too excited to see if they come up in future sets. Well, well, Dana kind of touched on it a little bit, but I'm not really super excited to see commander versions of already very, very powerful cards. Like Vanifar being a birthing pod, that wasn't terribly exciting because, you know, birth, birthing pods already played in quite a few decks. So and it's kind of already you... solved as well. Yeah, exactly. So, so naturally giving it more color access, it's easier to get because it's in your command zone at all times. It's not... Oh. It's not really the most fun thing that you want to be seeing happen. I don't mind stuff like uh, Arcane Artisan. Effects like that where it's it's kind of a show-and-tell type of effect. I don't mind that, but I would like to see just a bunch of interaction pieces. I don't want to see cards that are kind of plants for Legacy where they're just completely non-interactive. Stuff like Leovold. I love playing Leovold, but I do know it's probably not the best for the format. So getting away from that... I think would be kind of what I, I would like them not to see. I, like I said, I love Legacy. I love seeing cards in Legacy, and Leovold is very fun in Legacy, but it's not really the most fun card to play. So I would just like to see them emphasize that aspect of how can we encourage interaction and not just kind of copy-paste, here's a powerful enchantment. We're going to put it on a legendary creature now. Here's a powerful artifact effect. We'll put it on a legendary creature that adds a color, whatever. Those are things that I think I know the design team is so much better than that. And I, I, it, I know that this makes it sound like I'm knocking them and saying they're not trying, but I love seeing interaction and originality and they're, they're so good at that. So seeing kind of a, we'll copy and paste the text and put it on a creature that for me, that's not the most exciting thing. Yeah. And there are plenty of players for whom it is very exciting to, to see those. I, I think Scott Sutton was uh, another one of our EDA truck writers. I think he was very excited to see a birthing pod commander, but I totally he get was. that it's not your jam. And, and it also, I think, speaks to having since you are the, the resident player here who plays more formats than just EDH, you play things like Legacy and Modern and such. I think that you're also hitting on a pretty important thing there. There are multiple formats in this game. And we do want to have differentiation between them. We want each of them to feel distinct. That's the point of them being a separate format in the first place. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's perfectly healthy too, because people have different goals. You know, we have butted heads with CEDH players before on, on goals for the format. And that's another conversation together, but you, you are totally right. I think one more thing kind of in a similar vein here that I don't want to see more of in, this is a little bit subjective to a degree, and I know it's difficult to avoid, but I feel like, Nothing 
I dislike less than a commander that's really, really powerful while being simultaneously really, really easy. And I think Najila is a perfect example of that. I think Najila is a commander that doesn't necessarily, that plays very similarly every single game. It doesn't require a lot of decision-making or thought processing on your part. It doesn't require a lot of interesting deck building on your part. You can just slap a Najila deck together and win a lot of games. I think Edgar Markov kind of falls into that same category where Edgar doesn't require you to do a whole heck of a lot in terms of your play style. It doesn't require you to do a lot of deep dives in terms of deck building. You can just jam a bunch of cheap vampires into an Edgar Markov deck and have it kind of play itself out and be really effective. And I'm myself much more interested in a weaker commander that makes you do something interesting or requires you to, you know, think about it or or make a make choices that I am one of those. And I think they can do that. I think a good example is Brea. Brea is, I think, a ridiculously strong commander. But I've played a ton of Brea games or played against a ton of Brea decks. And it's never seemed easy. Like, it's always been a lot of things happening and a lot of things going on. And I see a really diverse selection of cards in those Brea decks, too, even if they might be kind of doing the same thing. So they can make those commanders that have really divergent play styles and play paths and build paths that are strong. And it probably takes a lot more work, too, than it does to make Najila where you're like, oh, well, if you swing, you're probably going to win. Have fun. See, I yeah. I, I don't know. I kind of like the the straightforward ones. I guess this kind of go back to the thing that I'd like to see, you know, certain commanders that fill a mechanical niche. Like if they had printed a blue-green investigate clue commander, then I would have loved that. And it would be exactly what you would expect every time you sit down all of the decks would probably look basically the same because they're all using those same investigate cards well it, it's uh, the it's the combination though of, of it being straightforward and easy and it being really really strong i don't think a clue commander would be brokenly strong whereas something like najila really really is or tatiova is really really easy and really really strong as well i think it's the combination okay. that i dislike where it's a it's a clear easy build path and relatively easy to play and it's really 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 good yeah, we, we noted when we were talking about Najila on our episode even that Warriors already wasn't exactly a weak tribe by any means. So having a powerful commander at the helm, that it that wasn't really access, a, a difficult leap. Yeah, exactly. And it gives you access to the to the best in all colors. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it, and it has a very clear way to just go infinite with those combinations. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's just that that I think isn't necessarily great for the game or particularly interesting. And we, we've also seen a lot of problems with the kind of the eminence mechanic where it doesn't require you. It's really safe and it lets you have a lot of strength without having to commit to it. I think that kind of thing isn't great for the game. So if we're talking about mechanics, I don't love. If we never saw eminence again, I'd be fine with that. I do like the tribal take that they took in 2017 because, you know, the the constraint there isn't necessarily on your commander and playing the commander, but it is on the entire deck. Sure. It's sort of like the argument for Delver of Secrets. The constraint of that card isn't the way that it actually plays in game. It's that you have to build your deck with a certain number of instants and sorceries to encourage it to flip more regularly. So that one doesn't bother me as much. But if we were to see other types of eminence commanders more along the line of Olaro, then I'm super on board. Did you say you want to see more Olaro? Because I'm not going to get behind that. I said the opposite of that. I oh, said okay. if we see more eminence in the style of the tribal stuff, that makes sense because it has a deck oh, building okay. constraint. But if we see it like Olaro, then I'm no. Then I'm on board with what Dana is saying. I think that more stuff like Olaro is not necessarily as healthy. Maybe I will agree with Joey. You want Olaro with partner. You want Olaro with partner. With partner. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. That's what Joey's championing. 
<laughs> wow. That's where it went wrong on the great designer search. That was Joey's first submission. Hey, uh, okay. That's he, a deep cut. He gave a, he gave a 4-4 flyer with vigilance and black. <laughs> right, <green>. yeah. <laughs> People no, who Dana, missed that question and are salty about it did not understand the question. That was the easiest question on the test. But I think it's best that we move on rather than harp on that. Maybe. All right. Okay, we've talked a lot about stuff that we want to see. We've talked a lot about stuff that maybe we don't want to see as much. And I am really excited to see comments on this from listeners to see what they're excited for as well. But we have one more classic segment that we got to do before we close out the show, and that is Challenge the Stats. Matt, would you mind starting us off? Sure. So I have one that was in Conspiracy 2. Uh, it's one that it's only in 1,442 decks. People seemed... I recall people being a little more excited about it when they first saw it. And then the excitement kind of died down. Then everybody murmured about it a little bit saying it should have gotten played a little bit more. But my pick this week is subterranean tremors. It is X and red for a sorcery that says subterranean tremors deals X damage to each creature without flying. If X is four or more destroy all artifacts. And if eight is eight or more put an eight, eight red lizard creature token onto the battlefield. So if we're going to go over to one of the most played artifact destruction cards in the format in Vandal Blast, the overload cost comes out to a wash with destroy all artifacts. Granted, Vandal Blast hits all other artifacts instead of or instead of yours. But still, you get a board wipe in there. It's almost one of those modal cards that we talked about that isn't really modal. Uh, you can have it be a mini board wipe. So your big beaters come out on, you know, on the plus, go and swing, whatever you want to do. You can blow up everything that you really want to uh, get an 8-8 beater yourself. Uh, it's just a very versatile card. Looking at some of the top commanders, there are a lot of big creatures in there. Um, Xenagos, God of Revels, that's all about going big. But then there's also a Tarka World Render, stuff like that. So you see a lot of big creatures. If you're looking for kind of a, a Blasphemous Action number two in your deck, I think that at 1,442 decks, Subterranean Tremors might be a little underplayed. I'm not sure that the comparison to Blasphemous Act is necessarily apt because Blasphemous Act is frequently just, you know, like one mana, whereas to get the creature off of this, you'd have to spend at least nine. But Subterranean Tremors is pretty darn interesting. I like that you can clear out a bunch of artifacts and a bunch of tiny dirtle creatures. And I was actually going to bring up, I think Xenagos God of Revels is the perfect place for it. One of the things that you want to be careful of with the Tremors is that you could have a bunch of artifacts if you're in red. But if you're also in green, you won't have as much need for those artifacts. So you don't mind paying the extra mana and you can also get a bunch of mana to pump into this to get you a big 8-8 and then Xenagos can pump it up I think that's a really solid include right well thank you <laughs> all right speaking of green I'm gonna move on to mine I've got a card here that I'm not really a fan of but sees play in 6,940 decks that's the card Fertilid. So Fertilid is a two and a green elemental. It's a zero zero, but it enters with two plus one counters on it. And you can pay one and a green to remove a plus one counter from Fertilid. And then target player searches their library for a basic land card, puts it onto the battlefield tapped, and then shuffles their library. We've discussed previously that the Fertilid and Obnix list combo is really darling. Totally go for it if you're up to that because you'll force an opponent to search their deck and then Obnix list will make them lose 10 life and sacrifice a creature. And that's really, really cool. But... If you're actually using Fertilid for the purposes of ramp, I think it's very bad. V very, very bad. It's five mana before you even get one land and it enters the battlefield tapped. There are so many better rates than that. Like even just an explosive vegetation. 
I don't like this card. I don't like it in plus one counter decks. I don't think the synergy is good enough to justify how slow it is at ramping you. So that's my challenge. I think that Fertilid deserves to see a lot less play. I do think Fertilid gets some credit for having probably the silliest moment in the podcast when I realized what was going on with Omnixilis, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was pretty, pretty great. But even then, I just don't think that it's worth it. I don't like I get that it's an elemental. So Omnath Locus of Rage can make some use of that. And I also understand that folks like playing Atraxa or Gave Guru of Spores want to put more counters on it to get more and more lands. But even then, for that much mana, like it costs seven mana before you get two lands off of Fertilid when you take all of those costs into account. I know that you can space it out over a couple of turns, but I still just think that that's too slow to really justify it. I think maybe, I, th I think you said you don't think it's good even in a plus one counters deck. I think maybe there you can make the argument because, you know, pretty frequently it's going to come into play with with four counters on it because you've got, you know, Corp Shack Menace out or you've got Arden Scales out or you've got Elbling Season or what have you. But uh, at that point, you don't need the ramp. Well, right. That, that's a problem. Like by the time this card is really, really useful and if you have enough mana, like as a mana sink to use it, do you need more lands? Probably not anyway. So, yeah, I, I just, I think maybe you can make that argument there, but no, that's a good point. If, if you can utilize it as a mana sink, maybe you don't need the mana anyway. So, no, that's fair. Oh, I thought you were going to fight turned, me on this. I was going to, and in the middle of my argument, you turned me around on it. Yes! I win the debate. Awesome. Dana, what's your challenge of stats? My challenge of stats is a recent reprint from Ultimate Masters, Soul's Fire. It's in just over 1,200 decks, and it says, Target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to any target. But it's an instant speed. I think mm. the, the ability in certain decks, I run it in my... I mean, and Den deck, because almost all the creatures in that deck get bigger based on the amount of lands I have. So very frequently I have like a 12-12 or a 14-14 in play or something. And then I have a bunch of ways to make those creatures even bigger, whether it's Berserk or or it's the, um, what is the creature that has the Blood Rush number of lands you control whose name has just escaped me? Rubble Hulk. Rubble, Rubble Hulk, there you go. Whether it's yeah. like Rubble Hulk or whether it's Kessig Wolf Run. Very often I can make a creature, a, you know, 24, 24, 26, 26, whatever in that deck just accidentally and being able to then just hit somebody with the creature flying in and then just dome somebody else at instant speed of soul fire. There's been a ton of times in that deck I've just killed two people for an extra three mana. You know what's really interesting? Soul's fire only shows up in 1,295 decks. Compare that to Fling. Fling shows up in 2,600 decks. And with Fling, you actually have to sacrifice the creature. That seems way less good unless you're actually building around the sacrifice synergy. But yeah, I, I super prefer to play Soulsfire over Fling. And the only reason, like, I don't even know if I've ever seen the card before until I was looking for Fling-type effects for my Crash deck I'm, I've just finished putting together. And I stumbled across Soulsfire, and I'm like, oh, man, why? Yeah, same thing. Like, it's one more mana than Fling at instant speed, and it doesn't lose me the creature now, in that particular deck, sometimes I want it lost because it makes Crash that much bigger, but I don't always if I'm flinging Crash. So having a few of those that don't sack the creature is really, really useful, and I think there's some decks where this is just going to kill people regularly. <laughs> so I'm looking at the top commanders page for Soulsfire. You know what a fun one for this one would be? A Zada Hedron Grinder? <laughs> yep, because it copies for every one of your creatures. Yeah, so if you've got a bajillion goblin tokens like Zada tends to make, you could play Soul's Fire and have all of your creatures deal damage to a whole bunch of targets all over the place. That sounds really hysterical. 
Well, in the amount of times in a Zada deck where I've seen there being not even that many tokens, like six or seven Zada to- tokens in a Zada deck, and then someone casts, you know, Trumpet Blast or whatever to give them all plus three or plus two, plus O oh, or whatever it is, Soulsfire just is then going to turn those five or six tokens, which is even that many, you're going to kill someone there too. Yeah. Oh, okay. Really cool pick. There's a lot of applications with that. I'm super on board for that challenge. Absolutely love it. Okay, folks, any other things that we'd like to touch on for our Watsi wish list? I, I will just say I think that a lot of things that I might have a couple years ago requested they do, they've done a really good job doing those things, whether it's going back to Dominaria or adding more more legends that are commander playable into just the standard pool, revisiting lore characters. We, we mentioned a bunch that we want to see, but they've done a ton of lore characters in the last few years as well. So they've They've been doing a really good job, I think, of doing a lot of these things already. So I don't think any of these, I think a lot of the things we've asked for, they're probably just going to do incidentally in the next two or three years because they've been really doing that as it is already. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm in exactly the same boat. And that's, I think, one of the really fun takeaways. There are a lot of these things that we've asked for and maybe not all of them that we deserve. But largely, I do think that it's evidential that the the designers have been listening. We've been getting the stuff that we want. I know that Commander 2018 got a whole lot of flack, especially because of the Windgrace deck, but they opened up really cool doors like with Aminatu. And they also gave us not just one, but three different Bont Enchantress commanders and three different artifact it commanders. Like, it just takes time for them to finally get these cards out to us, but they are on their way. The Mark Rosewater article that you mentioned totally proves it. So some of these items on our wish lists are probably in the pipeline right now. Absolutely. It'll be interesting to revisit this next year and see how many of these have been checked off just in, in just in this calendar year. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And listeners, we would love to hear what's on your wish list. What cards, what commanders, what different cycles are you excited to see from upcoming sets and products? Let us know in the comments. Alrighty, on that note, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-host so much for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? Matt? You can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55, M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And Dana? You can find me on Twitters at Dana Roach, and you can hear me once a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Peddle, also known as Kenish Norn. You can follow him on Twitter at Loader, that's L-O-A-D-3-R. You can follow EDHREC and the cast on Facebook and Twitter, and you can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com, and you can find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast, too. This cast is posted every week on EDHREC's community content spotlight section, where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, idiot track your deck before you wreck your deck. You know what really annoys me? That all about that bass song? When you look at the sheet music, it's in treble clef, not in bass clef. Like, come on. <laughs> Man, of all the things to bump on, yeah, it's not that the song is kind of annoyingly catchy. It's the sheet music. That's the problem. It is annoyingly catchy. That's a perfect way to describe that song. You get it in your head. It's an awful song, but it still sticks in your head. <laughs>